Merry Christmas, my friends. Isn't that a great song to sing? So thankful that in Jesus, we have a joy that nothing in this world can take away. And if you hear me say that and you think, I sure wish I had that, then I invite you to listen carefully as we take some time this evening to hear directly from the word of the Lord. Um, I'm Matthew, if I haven't met you, serve as lead pastor here, and it's a joy together with you, even in the midst of crazy storm outside. I, I thought to myself earlier today, I was like, this, this is in some ways kind of a fitting 2020 Christmas Eve. <laughs> but you know what? I'm grateful. Oh, I do wish there was snow. That would be delightful. We'd, I think we just have to drive a few hundred miles west. Is that the case? There's some snow out there tonight. Rain or snow, I want you to think about this, friends. And think honestly about this to yourself. What, what does Christmas mean? What does it mean? We know it exists. That's why we're here. But what does it mean? I, I think for some it means long-awaited time with family. I see a lot of family out here tonight. Um, for others, it means the end of a very long year. For some, it means the fun of, of opening presents. How many of you kids are really excited for the next 12 hours to just disappear? Mercy Robertson, you can raise your hand. That's okay. That counts. Yep. I know you are. But, you know, for others, you know, this time of year brings a new sort of depression, doesn't it? Where, where you feel you live in a chasm between the, the joy you wish you were feeling and the sadness that you are feeling and try your best to repress. Friend, you will never grasp what this Christmas means unless you go back to what the first Christmas meant. Remember that. Because the true meaning of anything is never discovered by by peering within you, okay? It's found by looking outside of you to the God who created you and asking, what does he see? And in the case of Christmas, what has he done? So if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter one. If you don't, no worries, I'll be reading and it will also be projected on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. 
He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I I won't keep you waiting, friend. Here is what Christmas means. It, It means that the salvation of God is at hand. That's what it means. It means the greatest enemy the world has ever known has been defeated. And it's not the coronavirus. (laughs) It's the sin in our hearts that destroys the joy of relationship with God. Jesus, the son of God incarnate, was not born to create a national holiday or to give you a tacky light tour or an excuse to open an obscene number of presents. He he was born, God in human flesh, to deliver you from death. And that means that Christmas is not cute. Christmas is a declaration of war. It's deadly serious. And in the first two chapters of Matthew's gospel, if if you're not familiar with it, he explains how we know that the promises God made in the Old Testament of a coming Messiah have been fulfilled in the very human person of Jesus of Nazareth. So the first half of chapter one, which we skipped over tonight, it provides a summary of Jesus' genealogy. But, But it ends with a very significant problem. And that's this. If, if Joseph, the husband of Mary, is a descendant of David, but not Jesus' biological father, how can Jesus be the son of David? And that, that's not an, an ancestry.com kind of, so what? How many second class? question? No, that's a faithfulness of God question, friends. Because a full millennium earlier, the Lord promised King David himself that one from his line would sit on the throne of heaven, reigning over every principality and and power in the cosmos. So, So Matthew's lingering here. We don't have time to do more context, but he's lingering to explain the origin of Jesus. And as he's doing that, he's drawing our attention to how the Lord delights to work salvation for us. So God works salvation for us in many ways through Christ. But let me give you a few of them tonight as we linger briefly on this passage. First, God works salvation through what is foolish in the eyes of the world. He works salvation through what's foolish in the eyes of the world. Suffice it to say, the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth were absolutely scandalous. Absolutely scandalous in the public eye. When when a, a Jewish man or woman was engaged, and in particular, when a, a woman was betrothed to a Jewish man in the first century, that, that was a legally binding agreement. And it was so solemn, unlike many of our engagements in our own day, that if you look at verse 19, Matthew speaks of Joseph as Mary's husband, even though we haven't had a wedding yet. And if a betrothed woman like Mary engaged in 
any sort of sexual activity before her wedding, it was as serious as committing adultery. And the penalty under the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy 22 was death. Not not just for the woman, but also for whoever violated her. Listen, even if it was a consensual act with her own fiancé. Now, by this time, the Romans had, had abolished Jewish death penalties, pretty much. So, in, in the normal course of action, you would have a divorce. And in this case, from a human perspective, you know, in Mary's case, that the evidence seems irrefutable, right? So, it wasn't like the trouble began with a, some sort of he said, she said, suspicion of infidelity. Mary was pregnant, probably some four months pregnant, and and having children out of wedlock, it's, it's become so common in our day that it is really hard for us to appreciate the scandal that that was in Jesus' day. It was a scandalous situation. And, and we know from Luke one thirty five that Mary knew that the child in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by infidelity. But it's not until this moment where the Lord announces as much to her fiance, Joseph. And I want you to imagine what everyone around her, Joseph included, must have thought before this time. You know, it's probably went something like this. Mary, how many other people in the history of mankind have ever gotten pregnant without any sort of sexual activity? You want to tell me that you've been faithful. How many people? None. Joseph wasn't crazy to wonder about that, was he? That that makes sense. It's not like he had a large data set (laughs) of other women who had gotten suddenly pregnant without any sort of relations with a man. And Matthew tells us that Joseph wasn't, you know, just a concerned man. He was a just man. And so he took obedience to God's law seriously. For for him to move forward with a wedding would be to not only turn a a blind eye to Mary's presumed sin, but, but to implicitly admit that he was the guilty party, right? So obeying God's law And maintaining his personal integrity forbid doing as much. And yet he was a compassionate man, verse 19. And he resolved to divorce her quietly, to to protect Mary from being publicly shamed because of her supposed sin. So just imagine the, the anguish in Joseph's heart. Imagine the heartache or the the covert glances, you know? When they didn't have social media, but you bet there were rumors flying. When they walked down the street or the debate in their own families about what should be done. And then with no warning, an angel appears to Joseph one night and urges him, Joseph, set aside your fears of public shame and scorn and take Mary as your wife, not because she deserves a second chance, but because she's been faithful to you. Verse 20, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I know it seems impossible, Joseph. I know this has never happened ever 
in the history of the world, but Mary is still a virgin. So take her as your wife and, and name her son Jesus or Yahweh saves. Why? Verse 20, for he will save his people from their sins. Friend, you need to know this. Apart from the virgin birth, Jesus cannot be your savior. He can't. If, if he was conceived through normal means like all of us are, he, he would have inherited both, both original guilt and original sin from his parents. And if he had then died on the cross, he would have died for his own corruption. So in order to be our, our substitute, in order to carry the, the guilt of another, he had to be completely innocent from moment one. That, that meant a divine miracle was required. A, a virgin how to con, had to conceive. And I urge you, do not try to medically understand how that happened. You won't. But then again, nor are you able to understand how God could create the universe out of nothing. Or how he could say to a dead man in a tomb, Lazarus, wake up. If God can do that, is it really too hard to believe he could cause a virgin to conceive? As it's been said before, facts are stubborn things. And the immovable fact of history is that a virgin did conceive. And the eternal son of God took on human flesh, except unlike all of us, he was without sin. Conceived through the power of the spirit. But here's what I want you to particularly notice tonight. Okay? That the circumstances of Jesus' birth were utterly unique. Never again to be repeated. But the pattern the precedent of God's saving work in those circumstances happens all the time, friend. What, what do I mean by that? that? That God does his most glorious work through what appears weak and foolish and scandalous and contemptible in the eyes of the world. And so if you look at your life and, and you see nothing but, but just a great big hairy mess, <laughs> You know, trouble within you, trouble around you. If, if wherever you turn, you, you feel like there's a, a giant neon sign on your forehead that, that, that just blinks shame. Shame. Know this. From the stable to the cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ says that, that God delights to work redemption and to bring salvation and to display the arm of his strength in situations just like yours. That's the pattern. The, the point is not that in God's eyes, you're innocent like Mary. Okay, to the contrary, we're, we're all guilty. We've, we've all broken God's laws, Mary included. We have no idea how shameful we really are in the eyes of a perfectly holy God. The point is that where the world saw nothing but shame, God saw fit to display the absolute perfection of his saving power. And he hasn't stopped doing that. Praise God for that. That's, that's the whole reason Jesus came in the first place, friend. 
to nail the guilt of our sin and shame to the cross and die our death so that we would not have to carry that anymore. So if you see nothing but shame in your life, or if you're exhausted trying to be the good person you know you're not, don't despair. And don't surrender to self-pity. Look to Jesus, friend. Cry out to God and, and trust him to deliver you. He died and rose again to rescue us from sin and shame and is worthy of your trust, friends. Christmas means what? That the salvation of God is at hand. And first, that God works his salvation through what looks foolish and broken and shameful and scandalous in the eyes of the world. Remember that. Secondly, God works his salvation by restoring the intimacy of fellowship with him. And this is a really sweet gift. If you look at verse 23, the the prophetic fulfillment Matthew notes here is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Remember, that, that birth was utterly, publicly scandalous in the eyes of the world. And yet, it was exactly what God had promised to do centuries beforehand. That one day he would come to us. That one day he would be with us. That, that the divine fellowship and intimacy of relationship that the first Adam lost in the garden, the second Adam would restore at the cross. It's the whole story of redemption. And the incarnation was just the beginning of that work, right? Ultimately, it took Jesus to the cross where he died for the sin that separates us from God. And that that tells us something, friend, that the great sorrow of sin ultimately isn't just the, the absence of good gifts from God, Blessings we don't deserve and and could never earn. The greatest consequence of sin. You you know what the greatest consequence of sin ever is? It's separation from God himself. That's why it's a big deal. Because our God is the radiant one. He's the all-satisfying one. the, The creator who made you such that your greatest joy is found in knowing him. So what is the whole world going to say to you? Not just holiday season, but but all the time. It's going to say, you want to be happy? Well, then you be you. I don't need to tell you that. We hear that all the time. Well, what what does Christianity say to that? What's the Bible say? Well, quite simply, you can't be you. You can't be you. Why not? Because until King Jesus delivers you from living for yourself through faith in him, you will never be who God created you to be. You'll you'll forever continue to run to broken cisterns that hold no water, attempting to discover the real you through one sinful pursuit after another. You, You will never, ever discover who you really are until you are restored to the creator and redeemer of your soul. That's how you find out who you are. 
by turning from sin and trusting Jesus to make you right with the Father. And to think, just just think with me for one brief moment here, that, that that God, our God, the one who spoke the stars into existence, who who formed the earth out of nothing, the one before whom angels hide their eyes, you know, whose whose glory is more radiant, purer than than a thousand suns, that that God wants to dwell with us. And he wants to be near us. And that in fact, he has drawn near to us in the person of the son and remained in the person of the spirit So that you, Christian, no matter what this past year held or what the next year is going to hold, you can know this through faith in Christ Jesus. You are never, ever on your own. You're never alone. It's the most precious gift we could ever receive. We do not serve a God who saves us from afar. He's not just sitting up in heaven somewhere watching you through a telescope, pressing the green button at just the right time. Remember the meaning of Christmas. What did I say? What's the meaning of Christmas? The salvation of God is at hand. It's near. It's God with us. Christianity says not that Jesus has made a way for you to work yourself back to God or that if you come to church enough, you can get your life back on track or with enough Bible reading, you can meet God in the middle. Okay, the good news of the gospel is that God has come to us to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. So remember, tomorrow morning when you are tearing open lots of wrapping paper that that in Jesus, God has given you the greatest gift of all. And that is what? The gift of himself. Because therein lies your greatest joy. God works salvation by restoring our fellowship with him. Lastly, God works salvation by calling us to the obedience of faith. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up from this dream, he had a choice to make, did he not? He had a very, very big choice to make. Would he he obey the word of the Lord or would he not? Just think about what what did obeying God for Joseph in that moment, what did that require of him? What what did that cost him? Well, it meant taking Mary as his wife and then adopting Jesus as his legal son by virtue of naming him. That's how he did that. And, And by the way, that's so important because that's how Jesus comes to be in the line of David. If Joseph didn't do that, all the promises of God that out of David's line would come the king would not have been fulfilled. That is the degree to which our obedience is part and parcel of the sovereign plan of God, friend. Don't tell yourself or kid yourself, God's sovereign, so it doesn't matter what I do. It matters exceedingly much whether you obey the word of the Lord. And for Joseph, that meant, at, you know, facing, what, what are my friends going to think? What, what, what's my family going to think? Do you, think about this. Do you think people thought better of Joseph because he obeyed the Lord? 
No. No, that, that, we don't, do we need to ask that? You know, nobody was going around, oh, Joseph, what a noble man you are, so kind of you. No way. Obeying God meant dying to the approval of man. And it's only because we live in so much more of a permissive culture that we struggle to even see that in this text. Joseph had to lose face in the eyes of his culture so that he could what? Delight in the face of God. Literally. (laughs) And friend, the Lord holds out the same invitation to you today. Trusting Jesus, obeying Jesus, following Jesus. Just let you know up front, that's never going to make you look good or become popular. To the contrary, you're going to look foolish to a lot of people. And it's always been that way with the people of God. Why? Because this world is not our home. And the rulers of this world are not your king. Jesus is our king and heaven is our home. And because heaven has come to us, we can know as believers that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so if like Joseph, you've chosen to live out obedient faith in Jesus, your life isn't wasted No matter what all sorts of other people may say or what you may even sometimes wonder about yourself. If you're a Christian, this has happened in your life, friend. You've traded in the perishing trinkets of honor on earth for the eternal treasure of knowing and loving Jesus. That feels like a sacrifice right now, doesn't it? But when the Lord returns, friends, we will realize that was no sacrifice at all. What what, what is all the stuff of this world? What what is anything you're going to receive tonight or tomorrow in a box or an email or on a gift card compared to the treasure of Jesus? It's not even in the same universe. So follow Joseph's example. Okay, embrace the obedience of faith because the path of shame on earth is the only path to joy in heaven. It's the path Joseph walked. It's the path Jesus walked. It's the path the saints of old have walked and they line the way cheering you homeward. Christmas means the salvation of God is at hand. It's a salvation God works through what is foolish in the eyes of the world, through restoring our fellowship with him, and by calling us to the obedience of faith. What I remind you of tonight through the word of God is that quite simply, that is the best story ever told. And the best part of it all is that it's actually true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the way you remind us through your word what Christmas means. Thank you, Lord, that wherever we have felt anew the reality of shame, weakness, or scandal in our life this year, that your very birth reminds us that is by your grace and power your chosen stage for displaying the power of God. Lord, help us to trust that, 
to believe that you haven't changed, that the way you rolled back then is the same way you are rolling today. Thank you, Jesus, that you are in the redeeming scandal business, in the showing strength in weakness business, and you're not about to go bankrupt. We pray that we would treasure your nearness, Emmanuel, as the greatest gift we have and that we would respond in obedient faith to you like Joseph because the treasure of you, Jesus, is so much better than anything in this world. Help us in your name, amen.